Hey, welcome to the online ministry at Coastal Community Church. I want to thank you so much for checking us out, and we're so grateful that these sermons online are benefiting uh, your spiritual growth. Uh, but one of the things we have a deep conviction of at Coastal Community Church is that you're a part of a local church. And so uh, while we want these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth, we also want to encourage you to find a local church. So if you're in our community, we'd love for you to visit us. Check us out. We're on 101 Village Avenue in Yorktown, and uh, we have three service times on Sunday morning that you can see if you can be a part of our community. The service times are 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and so we'd love for you to visit us. Um, when you visit us this summer, we're going to be doing a, a new series called One, and uh, we're going to be taking our church body through uh, the letter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that Paul writes a letter to the church of Corinth. And the letter is written because Paul is horrified to find out that this church is not unified together as a body um, to make Jesus Christ famous in their community. And I find that interesting because we we live in a culture where I think sometimes we're uh, shocked when a church is working in unity. And so that's what we want to be, a coastal community church. We want to be a church that works in unity uh, so that we can better uplift the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll join us for this new series as we go through 1 Corinthians. The series is called One. Well, good morning again, Coastal. I love that last song that we uh, had the chance to sing. Um, I was thinking, sitting there, we're, we're singing Christ Rescue Us. Because, because we've already been rescued. That's, um, that's beautiful to me. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to continue on with our series. The last few weeks we've uh, began to dive into 1 Corinthians. The series is called One. And um, over the course of this summer, if you're just joining us, uh, we're going to be preaching chapter by chapter. And so um, I think all of us would love to be able to spend more time than just preaching one chapter per week. But uh, we hope to be able to at least hit some of the crucial points of each chapter as we kind of work through these texts together week in and week out. And so, like I said, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you don't own a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. And uh, if you can't afford one and you want to read one, please take that one um, as our gift to you. But what I'm going to look at this morning is uh, I'm going to kind of continue this theme of disunity. Pastor Sean's been hitting on it, and I really think the first three chapters of, of 1 Corinthians here, that's, that's the major uh, theme here is disunity. And it's important for us to, to realize that disunity isn't this isolated sin. Disunity is this, this sin that kind of creeps into other areas of our life, other sinful areas of our life. But, but at the root of this sin of disunity, at its core, is this forgetfulness that the church of Corinth has regarding their union with Christ. And so I really want to heavy on that a bit this morning. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump right in because I want to cover as much as I can with the time that I have with you. But I'm going to read starting with the very end of chapter 2 where Pastor Sean left off because I think uh, the Apostle Paul is continuing a thought um, that's going right into 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read this chapter in its entirety and then I'm going to pray and then we're just kind of, we're going to wrestle through some of this stuff together this morning. But 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, beginning with verse 14 and then going on through chapter 3 here. The Apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth this. says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? 
but we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, and this is the beginning of verse 3 here, or chapter 3, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants from whom you've believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All things, all are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you that it's unchanging because your character is unchanging. And God, I pray that you would, um, God, I pray you would nourish our souls this morning as, we're, uh, as we digest your word as, as a corporate body of believers. So thank you for allowing us to meet here together, God. And thank you again just for the freedom that we enjoy to be able to meet here together on Sunday morning. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now there's disunity here at Corinth because in this chapter it's evident that there's still this lingering love for worldly wisdom. Okay, we, we have this city here in Corinth. And if you haven't already checked out our uh, resource book uh, on 1 Corinthians, they're available at the welcome desk. And it has some good background information there on Corinth. But, but we have this church here at Corinth that, that, that's that settled somewhere in southern Greece. Corinth was a, a, a town there in southern Greece. And it was known for a couple of things primarily. First, it was, it was known as being a, a major trade city in its day. And secondly, it was known for being morally depraved or, or, or morally corrupt. The expression to act like a Corinthian, it, it was used to, to describe somebody who was thoroughly pagan 
and, and sexually immoral. And, and we'll see as we continue to move through this letter that, that, that this local church here in Corinth was reflecting more of the Corinthian culture than the image of Christ. Okay, they, they, were, they were mirroring the, the culture of the, the broader culture of the Corinthians so much so that, that they were even tolerating um, habitual incest among one of their own church members. And, and uh, that, that comes in chapter 5 as we kind of move along through these chapters here. And so this congregation is by no means a, a model congregation. Right? The, the church at Corinth is not a congregation that we want to emulate here. Right now, I would be tempted if I were the Apostle Paul and I was writing this letter to them, I would be tempted to just write this church off completely. Because I'm reading through it like this is a disaster. But that's not what Paul does. Notice what Paul does in the, the first few verses of chapter 3 here. And Pastor Sean kind of, he spent some time on this a few weeks ago. But he says, but I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. You weren't ready for it, and even now you're not ready. You're still of the flesh. Paul addresses the, the, the church at Corinth as brothers. What in the world? Right? This, this is tremendous to me. The, the church at Corinth, they, they were grossly entangled in sexual sin. They were, they were influenced by pagan worshipers. And, and the worship that they were participating in in their local church, it, it was disorderly and it was man-centered. Right? Corinth was, was divisive. Corinth was morally bankrupt here. And Paul calls them brothers. And, and if, we were reading our, if we were reading the NIV, uh, the NIV would say brothers and sisters, which is right. But Paul addresses them as, as brothers here. He had to be extremely discouraged with this local church, right? He, he had labored and labored there for them, with them for about a year and a half. And then, the, uh, and then Apollos is, is kind of building on, on the, the foundational work that the Apostle Paul has done. And then he, he hears from a distance that this is some of the stuff that's going on within just this local church community. But as discouraged as the Apostle Paul might have been, he uses this familial language with them. He uses this, this familial language with a church that's extremely dysfunctional. And at the end of chapter 2 that we read a moment ago, Paul says that the natural person doesn't accept the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And, and to me, that should sum up the church of Corinth. Like, man, the church of Corinth is in their natural state. That is to say that they're without Christ. They're not Christians. That's, that's the conclusion that I want to come to when I'm reading this passage of Scripture. Natural people hate the ways of God. Right? The, the ways of, of God to the natural person, they're foolish, they're restrictive, they're, they're upside down according to the wisdom of this world, and to me seems to describe the church at Corinth. But... But Paul doesn't call them natural. He doesn't continue that address that he's hitting at at the end of chapter 2 that we read. That's not what he labels the church at Corinth. He calls them brothers, sisters. And Paul calls them brothers. If you're taking notes, you can kind of write this to the side. Paul calls them brothers positionally. They're positionally brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the, the, the church at Corinth is positionally 
in Christ. They're in right standing with God, and Paul encourages them with that reality. Okay, it, this is what's critical. Their right standing with God, it's, it's, not gr- it's not grounded in their good works. Therefore, their wickedness hasn't separated them from God. Right? Their right standing before God is grounded solely in Jesus Christ alone. And certainly that has ramifications for us as believers this morning. We're, we're not secure because of anything we do this side of eternity. Nothing. We're secure because we belong to Christ. Right? That's the passage of Scripture we just read. or Joel kind of gave his commentary to at the end of that song. Christ owns us. We're his possession. He says in John chapter 10 here, verses 27 to 30, says, My sheep, this is Jesus speaking, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. And no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father am I and the Father are one. And Paul, Paul's, his, his, his address to the church at Corinth here is grounded in this proclamation by Christ. And I, I'm tempted at times to add to the requirements of salvation, right? I'm, I'm reading this chapter here in, in 1 Corinthians 3 and I'm saying, no, that's not enough for them to be saved. We can't proclaim a salvation that we have to work to keep. Salvation is is, is a gift initiated by God. It's concluded, it's secured for us by Christ Jesus and persevered in us through the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the church at Corinth was stuck in spiritual adolescence. So he addresses them as brothers because they're positionally in Christ. Then... There's a shift here, and we see that the church at Corinth was stuck in spiritual adolescence. He couldn't, Paul couldn't address these people as spiritual people. Right? He addressed them as brothers and sisters because of their positional standing, but practically speaking, they're far from being spiritual people. Right? And if the Holy Spirit is living in us, we, we, we shouldn't want to be in a state of being unspiritual. Right? Listen to the language that the Apostle Paul uses. He calls them people of the flesh. Infants in Christ. He calls them milk drinkers. Right? Paul's saying here, you're not, pra- you're not practically behaving as you are positionally in Christ. You're not practically behaving as you are positionally in Christ. And that's a, a depressing place to be as a believer. Now, the Corinthians were so worldly-minded that they, they did not want the meat of the gospel. They were so worldly-minded, they didn't want the meat of the gospel. The Corinthians, the, the Greek word when Paul talks about being in the flesh here, doesn't, isn't flesh, again, in the sense of they're without Christ, but it means that they're indulging their flesh. They're, they're acting fleshly. They're, again, acting as uh, against who they are in Christ Jesus. So when Paul says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, you weren't ready for it. Okay, that's when Paul was there at Corinth, okay, and that's an okay place to be for new believers. But Paul rebukes them when he says, and even now 
you're not ready because you're still of the flesh. You, you are still indulging your flesh. That's where the rebuke comes. You, you haven't made any progress. You're not maturing spiritually. You don't want the meat of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we have to do looking at this, you know, Corinth, this is, we're reading something that happened in history. We need to understand that this relates to our own life, where we are this morning. Right? In the course of a given day, I only have so much emotional energy. You only have so much emotional energy. That's, that's the way that God's designed our bodies. And every day I, I'm, I'm faced with choices regarding where I'm going to spend my emotional energies. Right? And we all have kind of those categories, even if we don't formally have those categories of, I've got to expend some emotional energy into my family. I've got to spend some emotional energy into my job, into into uh, maybe some aspirations or some dreams that I have, maybe some hobbies that I have. We, we, we expend those emotional energies on a daily basis. And we have to ask ourselves the questions in our allotment of those emotional energies. Are we allotting ourselves enough emotional energy to feast on the meat of the gospel? Are we, are we allowing enough emotional energies for that? Right? For, the, for the Corinthians, immorality took up a lot of their emotional energy. So much so, as a matter of fact, they, they didn't even desire the meat of the gospel at this point. And, and that, that's the way they even approached their local corporate Lord's Day, their Sunday morning worship. It, it, even that was divisive and selfish, right? Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 3 says, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Ap Apollos, are you not merely being human? Right? Even their Sunday morning worship was divisive and man-centered and, and even entertainment-driven. They were consumers of ungodliness. And, and that consumeristic mentality made its way into the corporate local church gathering. So we got to ask ourselves, do we hunger and thirst for the gospel of God? Do we love and cherish the word of God? Or, or do we find ourselves, kind of like the Corinthians here, bored with any type of spiritual exercise that is it entertaining to us? Where are we? It's not a matter of discipline. I'm being conv convinced of that more and more as I go along. I think we're all in this room disciplined in some way. Right? We're, we're, we're a culture that will binge watch entire episodes on Netflix. That takes some discipline, right? No, I can't go to sleep right now. I got to watch 12 seasons before work in the morning. That takes a lot of discipline. I read an article not too long ago, uh, the CEO of Netflix, they were asking him, who's your major competitor when you think about your marketing and the type of shows that you produce and all that stuff? And, I, you know, I was thinking he was going to say Hulu or Amazon Prime or one of those uh, programs that you can bend, the little apps that you can download. But he said sleep. <laughs> sleep is the biggest competitor for Netflix. That's crazy, isn't it? And so if they can produce enough content and, and make it as high entertaining as highly entertaining as possible, I mean, people, that's what they're going to cut out of their lives is, is sleep for that. That takes an enormous amount of discipline. So I don't even know if it, it, it's proper for us to think of ourselves as lazy, undisciplined people because that, that takes a lot of emotional energy. That takes a lot of commitment. And so the question is not whether or not we feast, right? We do feast. But in our feasting, we're starving ourselves 
on the meat of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't have any time for it. We don't have any energy for it. We, we, we may be more like Corinth than we think. So continue to look with me. 1 Corinthians 3, starting with verse 5 here. It says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we're God's fellow workers, you're God's field, God's building. We have to consider our gospel witness. We've got to consider our gospel witness. Paul's reminded the church at Corinth, okay, that he's saying, listen, we're all on the same team doing gospel work here. And and Paul's bringing up this point, obviously, because he's trying to, to settle this disunity inside of this local church regarding which teacher follows who. Remember that Corinth was an entertainment-driven church. They believed, I think, Apollos was probably the dynamic speaker of that day, and they probably thought that Paul was boring. But I I, want to come at an angle here that, that causes us to consider our gospel witness both inside and outside the local church. Okay, Paul and Apollos, they're on the same team, and they're both doing gospel work. And we should be doing this gospel work too. We, we play a part in building the kingdom of God. Okay? In, the, in, the, in the diversity of our labors, each of us has the, these different gifts. Right? We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. We get to 1 Corinthians 12. But Paul's trying to get the church here to say, man, we need to be busy with the gospel. And God's the one that gives the increase. God blesses kingdom work. Right, that, that, that's the sure work of the gospel. Where the gospel's proclaimed, it'll either harden heart, harden the heart, right? What it did, like it did with, with, with Pharaoh, or it'll soften hearts and God will use it to draw people cl- closer to himself. And so Paul's reminding them, listen, we're doing the same work here. Paul, myself and Apollos are doing the same work and, and we're in unity doing this gospel work. And we understand that it's God alone that gives the increase. So we need you to get that church at Corinth and we need you to emulate what we're doing. Understanding that God's spirit is sovereign over the results of that gospel work. Pastor Sean sp- spent a, a Enormous amount of time on that last week, right? The, the sovereignty of the, over the Spirit. When I, when I talk about the sovereignty of God in smaller settings, I actually said this this past week in a class I was teaching, but, but have you ever been in a church service where, uh, man, you got, it's whether you're singing the Word of God or you're praying the Word of God or you're hearing the Word of God preached and the Spirit of God is working in your heart and you're just, you're more aware of His presence at that moment and you're like, man, I am... Uh, about to explode with gladness and gratefulness. This is, the, the Lord is applying this word to my heart, my mind, and he's changing me. And you're like, man, the roof is going to bust off this place. And you look next to the, the, the person sitting next to you, and they're just kind of texting, like, oh, I can't wait for this to be over with. And you're like, what in the world? How, how in the world could this person be asleep over here? And, and, and how, how can that person not feel the things that I'm feeling in this moment? That's the sovereignty of the Spirit. That's God giving the increase in that moment designed for you. He's softening your heart, and he may be hardening the heart of this sleeper over here. They're not sleeping right here. I'm not pointing at anybody. (laughs) That's the sovereignty of the Spirit here. and, And so Paul's reminding them, listen, God's the one that gives the increase. We're to be busy 
considering our gospel witness and living accordingly. The, Paul, the church at Corinth, they weren't following in those footsteps, right? They were, they were forgetting their gospel witness. They were fail, failing to live as they were, as adopted sons and daughters. Right? They, were, they were failing in their gospel witness outside of the local church, e- even by adopting practices that were immoral, right? The broader culture was looking at this church thinking, man, they're not a whole lot different than we are. They just got to get up extra early on Sundays. How sad is that? Now, how, how, how do we do this today? I, mean, I, I forget my gospel witness. If I'm confessing to you, I forget my gospel witness when I cling to my rights and to my liberties above my role to be a herald of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to get my way about things. Right, we, I forget my gospel witness when I believe that the ends justify the means, even if those means are evil and immoral. Well, I'm doing it for a good thing, so let me, I don't, it, I, God doesn't care if I don't honor him in the process as long as I honor him in the end result. Or I, for, I forget my gospel witness when I, I put my trust in a government figure for deliverance. Right? Social issues for us, if we're looking at things that, that we, we, we um, kind of cling to and, and, and fail to consider our gospel witness, social issues, I, th- I think they're always present when we chat with our friends or we check the news or social media, right? We, racism, immigration, abortion, sex trafficking, those are all extremely important issues. And I believe the Bible should have an impact on the way that we think through those issues, But if I forget my gospel witness when I take social issues and I make social issues of central importance instead of seeing them as secondary importance, I'll do whatever I have to do, which includes sacrificing my gospel witness in order to promote my social interest or the, the, the social justice issue that I'm passionate about. Does that make sense? We forget our gospel. We don't even realize that our hearts are prone to forget our gospel witness even in the the good things that we should care about. We have to remember our gospel witness. And the bottom line is we're to become laborers in the gospel and God promises to give the growth. And the Corinthians lost sight of that and many of us lose sight of that. So what's Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians in this chapter, right? How, how can they find their footing again? What's the, what's the remedy here for, for disunity and for this, this forgetfulness that, that the Corinthian church is plagued with here? Press into your foundation. Press into your foundation. Listen to Paul. He said, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master building, I lay a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds on it. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of our work is already complete. Isn't that incredible? The the foundation of our work is already complete. God solidified this message, this, this gospel work before the foundation of the world, and he revealed the mystery of that message in the person of Jesus Christ. There's, there's no foundation left to complete none Christ declared that it was finished from the cross 
and the foundation that was, was laid by the apostles and the prophets that, that were saying Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of this foundation. Ephesians 2 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with all the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the work, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Nobody can add to that foundation, right? Paul goes as far as to say in Galatians 1.8, he says that even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That foundation, foundation is that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the prophets in the Old Testament prophesied about. Jesus himself attested to this, and, and, and the, the, the apostles themselves reiterated the message that Jesus is God, the long-awaited Messiah that came and redeemed his church by taking the, 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 the punishment for our sins and, and bodily and eternally rising from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, he gives us peace with the God that loves us and sent Christ for us. That's the kindness of God. Romans 5, 8, God shows us love for us. If you're wondering if God loves you this morning, Paul says God, he demonstrates, he shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't love us and he's not kind to us because we deserve it. And the Corinthian church certainly didn't deserve the kindness and the love of God, and neither do we. He he loves us, and he's kind to us because of his own good character. And because of that, we know that we're laboring not only on a foundation that's finished being built, but we're laboring on a sure foundation. We're laboring on a sure foundation because of the gospel and God's extension of, of it based on his good character. We can have confidence it's a sure foundation. Right? That, that's the, it's the only foundation that'll last. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. I love this passage. It says, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom, or let's be grateful for receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all for our God's a consuming fire. The break author here, he's not saying bring acceptable worship to God with reverence and all and then you'll receive an unshakable kingdom. He's saying in Christ you have an unshakable kingdom. Therefore enjoy worshiping him out of the reverent heart that his Holy Spirit is producing in you. That's where we are. That's where the Corinthians, that's what the Corinthians were forgetting. And this final piece, it leads us to this this morning. Verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you're that temple. even concludes in verse 23 there, he says, And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. We are in Christ. We are in Christ. There, there aren't enough sermons preached on being in Christ. We don't hear that a lot. Right? We, 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 even, we refer to ourselves as Christians, which is, is great, but, but that really wasn't the way that the early church described themselves. Right? That's not necessarily a, a title that they were, they were clinging to, but, 
it, it would be more crisp and, and biblical if, and I think beneficial to describe ourselves as being in Christ. And are you a Christian? Man, if by Christian you mean I'm in Christ, you know, what does in Christ mean? Just go on explaining the gospel there, right? The, the expressions um, in Christ, in the Lord, and in Him, they occur 164 times in the Apostle Paul's letters alone. Right? John Stott, he's a, he was a pastor, theologian, professor. He, he, um, he said this, to be in Christ does not mean to be inside Christ as tools are in a box or our clothes in a closet but it's to be organically united to Christ as a limb in the body or as a branches in the tree. It, it's this personal relationship with Christ that is the distinctive mark of his authentic followers. I th- think of how closely identified a believer's life is with the life of Christ's. Right? The wickedness of Corinth, sexual immorality that includes incest, homosexuality, adultery, prostitution, orgies, along with every other sin imaginable, drunkenness, greed, lying, gossip, thievery, revilers, swindlers, idolaters. You name the sin and it's present in the church at Corinth. That very specific wickedness was placed on Jesus Christ. And God the Father poured out every ounce of his wrath for those specific sins onto Jesus. Jesus died for the specific wicked sins of Corinth. Jesus died for your specific wicked sins and my specific wicked sins. And he bodily and eternally rose, securing the payment Certifying to us that it's paid in full forever and ever and ever. Our past, our present, our future wicked sins that we've yet to commit. So because our life is so closely to, our lives are so closely identified with the life of Christ, he gets our wickedness, he gets our sins, it's cast on him. And what do we get? We get his righteousness. Look at his righteousness. Verse 19 of Romans 5. Just for as the one man's disobedience, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Get this. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So what does our first Corinthians text say about us being in Christ? It says, The Spirit dwells in us. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in you? His Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells in us as believers. It says that God's temple is holy. This is what he says about God's temple. Verse 17, second part of it. For God's temple is holy, and you're that temple. What, what are we as believers? What what did Paul charge the Corinthians to do? And what should we as believers do in response to that? Under, understanding that great truth that we're in Christ. Boast in the Lord. To boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians one thirty one is what this reminds me of. It, Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
Because we're, we are in Christ, our only response should be to boast in the Lord. And, and certainly we should do that on a daily basis. But what an amazing opportunity, even in a moment, what we're going to have, we're going to have the opportunity to boast in the Lord through song in response to being reminded that we are a people that are in Christ Jesus. God's using all things to bring himself glory and to mold us into the image of Christ. And, and, and the Lord that's using all things for the church's benefit reminds us through his word that we belong to Christ. We don't belong to Paul. We don't belong to Apollos. We don't belong to any, any teacher. We belong to Christ. We're not enslaved to our, formal, our former sinful passions we belong to Christ. We're, we're, we're not disunified. We're unified because the church has one head, one master, one Lord. And that's Jesus Christ. And so, Coastal, let's, let's live in response of that. And let's be who we already are and stop living like the dead man. Stop living like the man who's been crucified with Christ. Let's live as we positionally are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gospel. And God, we, we see the, the disunity and the sinfulness that plagues the church at Corinth, God. And we confess this morning to you our own sins, our own disunity, God. It would be a tragedy for us to say, man, Corinth was messed up, but I'm, I'm pretty good. Spirit, convict us. We are Corinth. And give us the motivation to live in response to the truth that we are in Christ. We are a new creation. And so I pray that you would edify the believer this morning. God, encourage the believer that your spirit dwells in them. And Lord, I pray for the unbelievers in this room, God, that are foreign. God, I, I even the word of caution in my mind is, is if we... We're loving and cherishing our sin, and we say, man, we, we have the gospel, and so let us sin much. The gospel really hasn't taken a hold of our hearts. So I pray for the unbelievers in the room this morning, God, that your spirit would convict them, God, and they would see their need. They would see that they're missing out. How much enjoyment is there being a child of God, not a child of wrath? So God, save souls this morning. Conform your church into the image of your son, Jesus. I pray this in his name alone. Amen.